Welcome everybody to another episode of Dollars with Decker. This episode is one you're definitely gonna wanna probably listen to and play back one other time at least. I'm gonna be covering something that is all around us right now and I have a little bit of a different opinion on it. So everybody keeps talking about we're in a housing bubble, right? We're in a housing bubble, what's the direction of the real estate? I have every single friend that I possibly know reaching out to me right now and saying, Brian, what do you think is going to happen in real estate? I know we've gone up so much and so fast. The economy maybe is looking like it's you know kind of faltering. What do you think? Should I hold off on buying? Should I pull cash out of my house and buy another rental property? Do you think mortgage interest rates are going to go up? Do you think the housing bubble is going to pop and we're going to see this massive influx? What's going to happen with all the foreclosures are, that are potentially coming down? What's going to happen with the rent memoratorium? What's happening, Brian? I, I need some advice. So in this episode, I'm going to go on why I think exactly the media is starting to kind of switch on us and continue to be negative in housing. And I'm also going to really focus in on kind of what my exact predictions are based on data. I don't use opinions. I don't think like, oh, I get this little tingly feeling in my mind and I'm going to go with that. No, every time I've done that, it's led me to either a Ponzi scheme or it's led me to be taken advantage of or it's led me to lose a lot of money. So now as I'm approaching 40 years old, every decision I make or when a piece of advice I give, I research it to the data, I because numbers do not lie. And I have a lot of people that really depend on me doing the research for them to help them make educated decisions. And let's just be realistic, buying a house or investing in real estate or investing in cryptocurrency, these are all areas that can create either tremendous wealth for your family or if lost, can really put you in a dire financial position, especially when it comes to real estate. So I'm gonna start this off by just reading some of the articles that have just come out in the last week or two, and a huge shout out to my buddy Dan Habib um, and a partner of mine in our uh, business, CryptoCharge, which you guys are definitely going to want to check out, CryptoCharge.com when we launch that. It's going to be unbelievable. Um, and so a couple, couple little snidbits of our good old friends, the media, because we all know whatever the media says is truth, right? And pff, if you didn't get my sarcasm there, I'm being very sarcastic for those of you guys that don't know me. Um, so homeownership doesn't build wealth, a study finds. It's one of them. Next year will be hard on the housing market, especially because of these big cities taking majority of huge losses. Another one, home buyers sign fewer contracts in July as high home prices just chill the summer market, collapse inevitable. Housing boom may be cooling as weekly mortgage demand drops off dramatically again. Is the Fed stoking another real estate price bubble that will wipe out equity? Peter Brockvar warns. And lastly, the housing boom is over as new home sales fall way to a pandemic low. What else is new? The media is always negative on housing. Truthfully, when the media gets negative on something, I usually want to buy it. And when the media gets really positive on something, I usually want to sell it. That's kind of the way I live my life lately, and it seems to work pretty stinking well. So let's just go into what, why people are so concerned here, right? So let's, let's boil it down. So we all remember last time, and if you are too young to remember last time, you are uh, lucky you didn't have to go through it. I, I obviously went through it. I owned a mortgage company at the time, and in a matter of mm, probably 30 days, I saw a loan pipeline of 80 loans all get canceled, except for six of them, as investors completely shut off their ability to go ahead and have the ability and credit facilities to lend because of the bubble we saw in the housing market. Now, what I need you guys to all understand here is the only reason why people are saying we're in a housing bubble right now is because house prices have gone up dramatically, okay? House prices had their largest year-over-year -year return that they have ever seen in all of mankind. You know, the, the you know, Case-Shiller Price Index, and it's, you know, a great index that's used. In the latest report, we basically saw 19% year-over-year price appreciation. So 19%, right? Now, just to give you guys an idea, I mean, typically we had been averaging somewhere in the neighborhood of 
four to seven percent per year, pretty much over the last decade or so, right? And so getting these insane readings, the highest we've ever seen in the Case-Shiller Home Price Index at 18.6% or 19% year over year for the month of June and July has people like freaking out. Now, I want you guys to understand first and foremost when you take that and you're like, yeah, that number sounds really big, right? We, you think about that. Wow. In, in dollars form, a house that was just $400,000 a year ago, that means that house is like $485,000 one year later. That's crazy. Oh my gosh, this is a housing bubble. Well, let's, let's look at it in another way. Now, is anybody talking about that we are in a food bubble? Right? Let's, just, let's just look at it that way, right? If you go into a restaurant, any restaurant, I have a bunch of friends that own restaurants, food costs just year over year, food costs, right? Are up 50%, 50%, okay? Now, mind you, the value of food did not increase in value 50%. What happened was the purchasing power of the dollar combined with some shortage in supply with the stable or increasing demand has led to this increase in price. Now, we're not saying that we have a food bubble, that this food bubble is going to pop. No, we just say, oh, you know what? Food prices are going up because obviously, you know, inflation is here and it's obviously forcing the cost of food to go up. And then we also have, you know, a, some shortage of supply due to the pandemic. So and that's a 50% increase. Now, if you look at the same thing in oil, right? We look at oil and we say, oh my gosh, year over year, oil's up, you know, 30, 40% you know, for the price of oil in some cases and gas prices, you know, that are now $5, you know, we're, you know, somewhere in the low $4 just, you know, 18 months ago, right? It's a major, major, major increase. And we look at that and we don't say, oh my gosh, we're in an oil bubble. The oil prices just have to come down. No, the reason why is because there is a, you know, a massive amount of demand where people were traveling more because they weren't flying as much. You also had inflation, the value of the dollar losing its value, therefore coming that cost up. So the first thing I want you guys to actually understand is if we took house prices, and let's say we denominated the cost of a house in something other than U.S. dollars, right? Let's say we went ahead and we looked at it and we compared it in ounces of gold, or we did it in barrels of oil, or we did it in, you know, the denominations of a tomato, right? And we denominated that and we said, okay, let's just say, or better yet, Amazon stock. Let's say for an easy number, let's say Amazon stock just for easy number standpoint was, you know, a year ago was $3,200 a share. And we said, okay, well, at $3,200 a share, let's say a $320,000 house, right? $3,200 a share, you're going to be using 100 shares of Amazon stock. So $320,000 house, we'll call it on 123 Main Street, you know, a year ago was a total of 100 shares of Amazon stock. And now if that house price now today from $320,000 is $380,000, well, guess what? That's still almost the exact amount of 100 shares of Amazon stock, right? So when you, when you denominate the price of a house outside of U.S. dollars, it gives you a better perspective. So yes, house prices have definitely increased, but they have only increased in that dramatic percentage when you denominate it in the U.S. dollar because the U.S. dollar is losing its value. Now, so how much have house prices really just gone up because of simple supply and demand? And how much have home prices gone up because the dollar is not getting you as much for your money as it did a year ago? So you need to think of that because right now we are seeing inflation at historic highs, something we did not see previously when we saw the housing bubble. Yeah, we saw a little bit of inflation, but nowhere near this level. So let's go ahead and we kind of move on from that point. So first off, you need to understand when we are expressing these crazy house prices, the, the price percentage increase is, is dramatically greater when you express it in US dollars than you do in another type of asset class because all asset values have gone up because the dollar is worth obviously less. Now, 
let's go ahead and let's get back to the point here of some of these FUD, like I say, call it fear, uncertainty, and doubt that they're causing about the housing market, the media, right? So first we're going to go over and we're going to say, okay, the big thing that they're saying is, you know, people are not applying for houses as much and, you know, applications to purchase homes and sales are way lower. Well, let's, let's kind of go through that here. For those of you guys that are just kind of like tuning in specifically, I'm going over how the media has basically saying we're in this giant housing bubble. And I want to use data to provide a different perspective. Now, this is truly my opinion based on the way I'm interpreting the data, you know, and it's maybe not, you know, the most popular opinion out there, but you know what, if you just go with the flow of everybody else all the time, you typically end up not being right majority of the time because people are primarily sheep and they'll follow somebody, you know, one sheep will follow another sheep. You know, it takes a real leader to kind of separate themselves from the pack and kind of form their own opinion. And that's what myself and some of my colleagues have done in regards to this. So purchase applications, meaning people that are applying for homes, okay, are down about 18% year over year. So they're saying, oh my gosh, people are stopping wanting to buy homes. Now, the first thing you got to look at is, okay, purchase applications, right? So who applies to buy a house? People that want to get financing, right? Well, people that pay cash for houses aren't applying for financing. And so we need to look at what percentage of buyers are more people buying houses for cash right now than a year ago. Let's look at it. And the answer is yes, believe it or not. Of the total individuals that are buying houses today, whereas it was 16% of all people buying a house were paying cash for it a year ago, today, 23% of people are paying cash and closing on a home. So that number right there alone is a 7%. So 7% more buyers. So seven buyers out of every 100 now are paying cash for a house more than what we're done. So we have a pool of, you know, 100 people last year, 16 of them paid cash for a house. We have 100 people today, 23 of them are paying cash for a house. So purchase applications went down 18% year over year. Well, guess what? Who cares? First off, 7% people more are buying houses. So that means technically that's going to adjust down to an 11% decrease because you're not, who cares? If purchase applications dropped 30%, but we had a 30% increase in cash buyers, guess what? We still had the exact same demand for homes. People just chose to pay cash for them versus providing financing for them, right? So now that we've gone ahead and we've adjusted that down, that's going to go ahead and bring us down to, you know, roughly in the ballpark number of 11%. So purchase price applications are down 11%. Now let's also look at another figure. What else affects people applying for a house, right? And getting a house purchase application, the amount of inventory, right? So if I go to a store and I'm going to go into that store and that store I know is stocked with tons of Nike shoes, guess what? More people are going to walk in the door of that store and try to buy Nike shoes if they know that there is a heavy supply of shoes there to buy. Well, guess what? Less people are going to walk through the door trying to buy shoes at that Nike store if it's very well known that Nike is significantly down in its supply of shoes. You have less shoes to sell. You're going to have less people trying to buy those shoes, right? And less people trying to open up maybe a store credit card at Foot Locker to try to buy those shoes if they have a lower supply, right? So let's see what supply did. Well, look, supply year over year is down 12%, 12%. So that means the amount of homes. So there's 12 homes. So let's say every neighborhood, right? you know, has a hundred houses in it. Well, guess what? 12 of those houses out of that hundred neighborhood are no longer for sale in the market. They've been removed from the supply of being able to buy those houses. So that means people only have, call it 88 houses in that home, that neighborhood of a hundred homes to even have the potential of buying, right? So we've seen that. So when you look out and you say, okay, we have 12% less houses to buy. We have 7% more people paying cash for those houses. Well, no wonder purchase applications went down 18%. You remove the 7%, you add the 7% back that it paid cash for the house. Now you only have 11% decrease. Now you have 12% less houses available for sale. Guess what? Now you're really, your purchase applications did not come down by such an alarming number at all. 
But the media doesn't want to talk about those factors, right? Nobody does that. It's, it's, you know, it's the same thing. It's like, oh my gosh, so many people, less people went in there and bought Apple iPhones. Well, what if they said, hey, guess what, guys? There's not very many Apple iPhones for sale right now because Amazon cut their supply of Apple iPhones down by a tremendous amount. Well, no kidding, Apple sales fell if there was less actual Apple iPhones to buy, right? And so that's what happened in sales, right? So purchase applications are down because there's less inventory available for people to even try to apply to get a house and more people are paying cash, therefore not going into the bank to actually apply for a purchase application. So now let's look at existing home sales. So existing home sales and new home sales, they said have been declining dramatically and that it's because of due to affordability and houses are crashing and people just are, are just saying, hey, you know what? House prices are just too affordable. So no, p- people aren't even out there wanting to buy these houses as much anymore because it's just, they just can't afford the payments. So first off, we need to look at a couple of things. We've already talked about that there's a lot less inventory available in the market. So of course, when there's less available homes for sale, you're not going to be able to sell as many homes because there's less homes to be able to buy from. So we've already tackled that. The second thing we also need to know is that a large amount of the inventory that's coming onto the market right now meaning when you're providing additional inventory for the market is coming from new construction. Well, guess what? Labor, materials, appliances, all that stuff that's available is majorly backlogged, not allowing new inventory to come onto the market. So not only are existing homes having a reduction in the amount of inventory coming to market, but new home sales are just as nasty because guess what? It's the same thing how you had the chip shortage in cars. Like I just went and bought my wife a new Mercedes this last weekend and I went on the dealership and I had called them and told them if they, when they get the new S-Class Mercedes that I wanted to be able to get it in. So I've been waiting, they give me a call up and they say, hey, Brian, Brian, we got one in, you better come in and get it. I went and walked the Mercedes-Benz dealership that normally has probably a thousand new cars for sale. There were literally 24 cars, new cars for sale in that lot, okay? So the same thing that you're seeing in cars, you're not seeing quite to the level with houses, but that same thing, you're having a lot less new construction homes come to market because they're waiting on materials coming in. They're waiting on all these different types of appliance parts. Appliances are extremely hard to be able to go get and figure out the houses. Plus they have a major labor shortage. People don't want to go back to work yet, right? So you obviously have less home sales that are coming about because there's less inventory, both on the existing as well as the new home sales. So just because they're declining, it doesn't mean that demand is dropping. That's a very, very important difference, right? Sales declining is not an indication of demand declining if there is a reduction in supply, right? If I have 100 iPhones for sale versus 200 iPhones for sale, and of the 100 iPhones I have for sale, all of them are sold. And of the 200 100 iPhones I have for sale, only 100 are sold. Okay, I sold 100 iPhones in both cases. In which case do you think demand is dropping? The second one, right? The second one, we have more supply than that demand can consume. Well, right now, if I was just to say, oh my gosh, you know what? We, we still sold the same number of iPhones. Well, in one case, we sold every iPhone we freaking had. In the other case, we still have 50% of the inventory left. So you've got to look at something just beyond the number of sales to determine supply and the amount of supply that can be consumed by demand is what needs to be tracked, not the number of a unit sold. Because if you have a reduced supply, you can't sell as much of it, right? So let's go to the big one. And this is the mind-blowing factor one. So on this mind-blowing factor one is this. They say affordability is no longer there. And that's why the housing is crashing. And that's what's caused existing home sales to come down. And I've already talked about the inventory. Now, this is the one that is really, 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 really mind-blowing here. So... I want to give you guys something that you guys can really think about. And I guarantee you guys are going to want to mark this down and kind of, you know, really use this as a, as a, one of those little bar tricks. Okay. So the average home price between 2006 and 2021, 2006 was previously the peak of the market to 2021. Okay. 15 years of that time span. Home prices have appreciated 41%. Okay. 41%. So 
let's say in the, I'm going to use the area in which I live right here. Okay. So let's say, you know, in Riverside County, approximately in this is 41% is nationwide average, but I'm going to use something here in Southern California as a background, just as an, as an idea. So house prices have gone up 41%. Now, if I was going to walk to you and I said, okay, Hey, if I got a mortgage to buy the median house in 2006 here in Riverside County, and I went and pulled that out and I got a loan for $300,000, right? Bought a house in Menifee, we'll just say. And I got a house in Menifee and I paid 300, got a loan for $300,000. Now, 15 years later, house prices have gone up 41%. And now that loan that I need to buy the median price house is $423,000. So a $300,000 loan versus a $423,000 loan, right? A 41% increase. How much more do you think the $423,000 loan is compared to the $300,000 loan, right? $123,000 difference in loan. How much different do you think that principal and interest payment is? Most of you guys, if I said, okay, the $300,000 loan had an $1,800 a month payment. What do you think the $423,000 loan is? And I've asked a bunch of people. Most of them say, oh, probably what, 2,400 bucks a month. Usually the ads are being in, but say probably, I don't know, probably about 40% or maybe 30%. I think interest rates are a little bit lower now. We're ready to have your mind blown, my friends. It's less expensive. Yep, that's right. It is less expensive on a $423,000 loan today than a $300,000 loan was back in 2006. Okay, $123,000 less borrowed had a higher payment. Well, why is that? The power of interest, my friends, because the interest rate in 2006 was a 6% interest rate. That was the, that was the average rate. That's not some funky loan. That is a conventional loan was 6%. $300,000 loan at 6% is $1,800 a month in a principal and interest payment. Today, a $423,000 loan with interest rates below 3%, I'm gonna use 3% for an easy number, gives you a payment of 1783 principal and interest. 1783 versus 1800. So it is $17 a month less for the median loan amount. And on top of that, if we factor in things like PMI, PMI is substantially reduced as well. PMI for the same amount borrowed is less, okay? So you, you factoring in. Now, okay, we say, okay, well, you know, how, okay, so payment's a little bit less, so, so expensive payment. Well, guess what? When people buy things in today's market, and I said, hey, you know, look at my videographer, Omar. Hey, Omar, do you think you could buy a $500,000 house or a $300,000 house? He's going to say a $300,000 house. And I'm going to say, well, what if the payment was going to be the same? And he would say, oh, well, well maybe I could afford the $500,000 house. It, well, it kind of depends on what my income is, right? That's the key point, my income. Because mind you, we're talking about 15 years ago. And newsflash, as much as prices have gone up with the reduction in interest rates, interest rates being half of what they were back then, guess what? Incomes didn't stay the same, people. They didn't stay the same. So let's look at it. So according to Fred, which is obviously the Federal Reserve, as well as you can use the Labor Bureau, um, so the Bureau of Labor and Statistics, and you can obviously kind of boil this down. And let's compare it. So the average hourly earnings in 2006 compared to 2000. In 21, so 15 years, the average hourly earnings were $20 an hour in the United States of all employees, okay, in the total private sector. Today, those are $31 an hour is the average earning across all the United States in private sectors. That is a 55% increase, a 55% increase. Now, I know what you're saying. Well, I know a lot of people don't make $31 an hour. Well, guess what? A lot of people didn't make $20 an hour in 2006 either. You had minimum wages gone up dramatically 
in so many of these areas. And guess what? And I don't mean this is a disrespect. The same people that weren't making $20 an hour in 2006 are the same people in 2021, not making $31 an hour that can't afford houses. Okay. It's, it's the same. If people that were working as a cashier and nothing, no, nothing against cashiers that were making $9 an hour as a cashier in 2006, guess what? In 2021 that are making $15 an hour, they still can't afford to buy a house that has not changed. Okay. This is the average hourly earnings. So we have $20 an hour has gone up to $31 an hour. So we're going to use that exact same number and we're going to say, okay, that's a 55% increase. Home prices only went up 40, 41% home prices did, but income went up 55%. So let's look at the uh, simple case. Okay. So let's say somebody, you know, as a household income between husband and wife made $72,000 a year in 2006. Okay. $72,000 a year, you know, basically, and there he bought it. They had that loan of $300,000 loan at a 6% interest rate and had an $1,800 a month payment. That $1,800 a month payment was 30% of their pre-tax income, meaning that $72,000 a year is $6,000 a month. That $1,800 represented 30% of their monthly pre-tax income. Now, that's 30%. So they had to spend 30% of their pre-tax income on their mortgage payment. Now, let's look at that today. That $6,000 a month household who was making $72,000 a year as a household between husband and wife in 2006 now makes $9,300 a month or roughly speaking, Look at about $110,000 a year. So there's $72,000 went to $110,000 a year. Now, guess what? That mortgage payment, a $423,000 loan amount, because interest rates are half of what they were, is only $1,783. That $1,783 principal and interest payment compared to their new income of $9,300 is only 19%. Only 19%. That's a huge difference. Huge difference. So their household income went up $3,300 a month, but their monthly mortgage payment is in essence the exact same. So what I tell everybody, when you're talking about affordability and you're simply using it as a metric of price, you're an idiot, okay? Because guess what? So what if cars that were $60,000 in 2006 are $100,000 today, okay? Right? We don't say, we don't think like, oh man, do you know, just because car prices went up, nobody can afford them anymore. No, what do we do? We base it on what the payment is, right? The payment is what gives us affordability. We don't write a check every month and pay off our house. No, we finance it on houses. So whatever our financing costs are and our payment is on that property determines our affordability on it. So just like how car rates were six, seven, eight percent in 2006, and now they're like 1.9%, right? guess what? The same thing is true is that car is more expensive, but since there's less interest being charged on it, therefore your monthly payment is nearly identical. And that is the same for a house. So when you simply say just because house prices have gone up and that we are in a bubble, okay. And we can no longer afford these houses that is making the most over, you know, simplified approach of saying that and just causing fear, uncertainty, and doubt in the market. What you need to be saying is, okay, how much have monthly payments on mortgages changed between 2006 to 2021? How much of those payments changed? And then two, how much of those people's incomes have changed? If somebody's mortgage payment has doubled and their income has only went up, you know, call it 25%, we have a problem, right? We have a problem. People's disposable income is lower, right? The mortgage payment is taking up a greater portion of their income. And that is simply not true. That is not true. Now, do people overextend themselves? Absolutely. Is the economy in a situation where there's a lot of industries getting really hurt? 
Absolutely. Do I think that the economy is going to continue to boom just, you know, with double digit, you know, gains every single year for the house prices? No, I do not. But do I think house prices are less affordable to today than they were in 2006? Absolutely not. They are far more affordable. Interest rates are half what they were. They're half of what they were. And home prices have went up 41%, but incomes have gone up on an hourly basis in the private sector by 55% over those 15 years. So before you guys start stirring the pot and spreading these false rumors, I suggest you share this with somebody who needs to hear it. Because at the end of the day, do not make opinions based on speculation and listening to the news. Do some research or listen to me and I'll do some research for you and you can take my percentage of that on. So in an all in all thing, do I think house prices are going to go up 20% next year? No, I do not. I think house prices will probably go up 3 to 4%, but with inflation pushing it up, who they could go up another 7 to 8% because inflation adjusted, meaning how much, you know, the actual value of a home is going up based on supply and demand versus how much the dollar is losing in value is two separate metrics. And so house prices are going to continue to go up. Now, if somebody is paying $200,000 over asking price, is that a bad decision? Yes, it is. Overpaying for something is never good in any market. But do I think that house prices are no longer going to be affordable in a year? No, I think they absolutely have a long way to be able to go before we reach the level of affordability. So take care, guys, and Decker out.